Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the flood and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock good morning church it is wonderful to be back with you today I, I know it's a wonderful day to be back in church because i feel like i haven't stood in one place for more than 15 seconds or so this morning and that's actually a good thing that's how i wish every sunday morning felt uh, today, though, we're, we're finishing our sermon series that we've been going through on the Sermon on the Mount. And as I was sitting alone in my office and I was trying to just kind of brainstorm on, on what is it that we can say to, to wrap up, to, to close our thoughts on, again, what is widely considered to be one of the greatest sermons that was ever given. The, the, the thought as I sat there alone, just with the wheels in my brain turning, which is always a dangerous place for any of us to be, is, Daniel, when was the last time that you were astonished or awestruck or amazed? And I asked myself this question, and then as I answered myself, I was not very happy. I did not like the answer that I gave myself, because the first thing I realized is I am not astonished very often. And then soon after that, what I realized is that when I am astonished, typically I'm not using that word in its positive sense. So an example. I've been astonished a time or two over the last few years that a, maybe a particular guy or a particular gal won an election. I've been absolutely astonished and beside myself that a certain candidate maybe has made his or her way into office. I'll also admit that I've been astonished as I've sat back and I've watched both men and women who are willing to, to passionately defend their perceived right to end a life in an abortion. I've been astonished at their passion that they have for their argument, for the, the entitlement that they have. I know that I have sat back and I've read about and I've seen videos of, of atrocities that have been committed during times of war. And I have been absolutely astonished at the depravity of humanity. And the list it kept going on as I kept going further back into my memory. Perhaps I was astonished when the World Trade Centers fell. But I just, it was far too easy for me to just keep going back and, and thinking of moments where I was astonished in a negative, bad, or maybe I was astonished by the things that I found to be disgusting. Those are the things that astonished me. What did not come as easily, what did not just jump to the front of my mind is, is examples of the type of astonishment that people often expressed after they met Jesus, after they saw him perform a miracle, or after they heard him teach. Right? It's this type of astonishment that just says, I, I had no idea that things could be this good. I don't even necessarily understand it. I don't get it. I can't explain it, but I know that it's something that I want. 
astonishment that is in short supply in our world. It's not like that type of astonishment does not exist. There are some examples that I can think of in my life of times where I have been astonished in the positive sense. Um, I was absolutely astonished at the birth of our first daughter. Right? We were young and dumb and naive, if I'm being honest. Uh, we had been married for a few years, so logically the next step is you have a baby. We decided we'd start trying to have a baby. I was all for that idea. And after a couple months of trying, nothing had happened. And around the time where I started to think to myself, like those worries start to creep into your head and you start to think, oh, well, what if something is wrong? What if maybe this is never going to happen for us? All of a sudden, boom, a positive pregnancy test. And then in a blink of an eye, nine months later, I'm standing in a hospital. If I haven't mentioned it before, in the same hospital where Taylor Swift was born, mind you. So, you know, that kind of by proxy makes us famous. But I'm standing there and then all of a sudden I'm holding this human, this little baby with a full head of black hair. And I was absolutely astonished. I was floored. I mean, we had made a human. Another time I remember being absolutely astonished was the day I was baptized. You've probably heard me tell the story before. I remember going into that day and I thought, everything's cool. This is a normal day. I'm skipping through life. I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do, aren't I? I'm actually succeeding at a lot of the things of trying to leave my old self behind and, and go forward and step into the life that God is calling me to, patting myself on the back. And then I went into the water and I came up and I was astonished. I felt convictions that I had never felt before, ideas that never once in my life I had ever cared about. And there are certainly probably a few other times in my adult life where I can say that I was truly astonished in a positive fashion. But, but it's borderline embarrassing for me to admit that I have experienced astonishment much more often in the negative sense of the word than I have the positive. And I think this is a symptom of the times that we live in where bad news sells, where negativity moves the needle, where separating people, where, where making people enemies, it keeps us all in a way enslaved to those who, who think they have power. They have plenty of reason to make sure that we are continuously fed things that are going to upset us and astonish us in that negative way. And then when we sit down and we make a list of the things that astonish us, it's filled much more with that negative connotation than it is the positive. And for the last five weeks, we've spent our time walking through the Sermon on the Mount. My hopes are that as we have done this, your eyes have been opened wider to these familiar teachings of Jesus. That you have seen that, that it's Jesus' purpose when he speaks. It's his mission to go out and to grow the kingdom. To call sons and daughters back to the Father. To give them instructions on how they can live so that they might build a life that is founded upon a solid foundation. This would allow them to then go out and to shine, to be a light in dark places. That they would be able to stand confidently knowing that they have not just heard the words of their Savior, but they have gone out and they have acted upon his teachings. 
I hope you've seen that, that when they would follow the ethical teachings of Christ, that when they would be willing to live in this countercultural way, that the world would have to stand up and they would have to take notice. That it would be those who built their life upon the rock that would have the opportunity to present the gospel to many and the opportunity to preserve life. So what we've seen in the last five weeks, we've seen that Jesus taught us in the Beatitudes, he, he taught us who it is that would be blessed. He taught us that the, the meek, the persecuted, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, those in mourning, that they would all be blessed. We read along as, as Jesus taught how, how we should handle anger and lust and revenge and, and giving. We heard just last week as Jesus taught us how it is we should pray. We, we listened to his words on, on our anxiety. The truth is these three chapters in Matthew that we have been in for the last five weeks, they are jam-packed with the words of Jesus. There are more red letters per capita in these three chapters than just about anywhere else in Scripture. The truth is we only hear from the author or the narrator twice in these three chapters. It's in the very first words of chapter 5 and in the very final words of chapter 7. And that's what we're going to look at today as we close this series. We're going to look at Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. What it says there, it says, And when Jesus finished these teachings, so he's, he's finished everything he had to say in this great sermon, it says, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. It says, The people were astonished. Perhaps in your translation it says the word amazed. Uh, just about every translation of scripture will use one of those two words, amazed or astonished. I prefer the ESV's astonished, even though by definition the two words are interchangeable. I love the word astonished over amazed because to me there, there's something in my soul that astonished conveys something greater than the word amazed. Um, for example, I've I get amazed a lot easier than I get astonished. Um, I am amazed at someone who can solve a Rubik's Cube, right? Those puzzles with the colors on the different size, uh, especially, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's people that solve them in competitions. In under 10 seconds, they can solve a Rubik's Cube. Some people can even do it blindfolded. I don't know how that works. But if you are a person who can solve a Rubik's Cube, I think that's amazing. But the people who gathered on that hillside, who heard Jesus preach about the kingdom of heaven, how the kingdom of heaven should walk and talk and act, they weren't just amazed that someone could solve a Rubik's Cube, they were astonished. Go back again, look at verse 28. It tells us exactly what they were astonished by. It says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Right? It's his teaching that astonished them. I, I found that incredibly interesting. And again, it made me start to think. And again, always a dangerous place for us to be. Uh, but I went and I looked. Since this word astonished had captured my attention so much, I, I went and, and looked a little bit deeper into this word. The, the word that we translate into either a means to strike with astonishment or to amaze. 
It made me wonder, where else in our New Testament do we see people experiencing this, this same type of ekpleso, the same type of astonishment as those who had heard the Sermon on the Mount? And what I learned is that this word is used only 13 times in our New Testament. Twelve of those 13 times, which we've already heard one of them, it's found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The only other time that this word is used is in the book of Acts. So if you would humor me, and if you would stick by me for just a minute, what I did for myself, and what I want to share with you, is I went and I looked at what are these other 11 examples of when this word ekpleso is used, what is it that astonished people in this same way? First, where it took me was to Matthew 13. Also, all these scriptures are going to be up on the screen behind me. Please don't feel you need to flip. Take notes of the scripture references if you want to hold me accountable and make sure I, I, I didn't add or remove anything here. But in Matthew 13, uh, Jesus has finished up uh, teaching in parables to his disciples. And then he leaves. He heads out. And he, he goes back to his hometown. And in Matthew 13, 54, it says, Coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished. And said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Right? So again, we see people are astonished by Jesus' teachings. But unlike this, this time that we just read about on the hillside, now people, they, they kind of take offense to what Jesus had to say. They, they, they run him out of town. We then again come to the same word in Matthew 19, where Jesus meets the rich young ruler where he tells this young man to go and sell all of his possessions, to, to follow Jesus and take his place in the kingdom. This is also where Jesus says to his disciples that it is easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. And at hearing this, his disciples respond in Matthew 19.25. It says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Now he's not teaching the masses, he's teaching his own disciples, and it's his own disciples that are being astonished by his teaching. In Matthew 22, Jesus confronts the religious rulers who are trying to trap him. They want to try to prove that there is no such thing as resurrection of the dead. Jesus, as he so often does, he uses scripture to flip the table on them. And then it's recorded for us the people's reaction at this. Matthew twenty-two thirty-three says, When the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Mark's gospel uses the same word quite often, right off uh, the bat, actually, in Mark 1. In Mark 1, Jesus calls his disciples, and the very first thing they do is they head out to the synagogue. Verses 21 and 22, it says, When they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Mark 6 recounts us the, the same story of Jesus being in his hometown and the folks being astonished at his teaching. In Mark 7, Jesus meets a deaf man and he heals him. Upon healing him, he asks all the men and women who had witnessed this great miracle, he asks them to be quiet. He asks them not to tell anyone what it was that they had witnessed. But Mark 7.37, it tells us what happens. It says, they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
they, of course, they were so astonished, they didn't even listen to what he commanded of them. They went out and they told everyone who could, could, they could meet, everyone who they would bump into, what it was they had witnessed. Mark 10 again tells us of, of the rich young ruler and the disciples of Christ being astonished. Mark 11 in the midst of what we often refer to as Jesus' righteous anger, when he goes and clears the temple of the money changers who were taking advantage and stealing from the pilgrims who, who came to the temple to make their sacrifices, Jesus does this. The religious leaders, they're now ready to strike. But they don't. And they don't because of the people, because of the crowds. Because upon witnessing what had happened, uh, it's recorded in Mark eleven eighteen. what it says is, the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all of the crowds was astonished at his teaching. We get into the Gospel of Luke. I promise we're approaching the end here, but I want to make a point. Luke 2, Mary and Joseph, they lose little baby Jesus for three days. You guys have heard this story before. And when they find him, he's teaching in the temple. All who heard his teachings, they were amazed at the wisdom that could come from this young boy. And what's recorded for us in Scripture is also his parents' reaction when they arrive and they see him teaching. In Luke 2.48, it says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Luke 4, 31 and 32, it says, he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his words possessed authority. In Luke 9, a father brings his son to Jesus. Uh, his son is overcome and oppressed by a demon. The father's already gone to the disciples and asked for help, but they were unable to cast out the demon. And now the man stands in front of Jesus, begging for help for his afflicted son. Jesus speaks, and at the sound of his vo voice, the, the, the child is freed from his oppression. Luke 9.43 says, All were astonished at the majesty of God. Twelve times in our Gospels that word ekplesso appears. Twelve times that we see people being astonished. And if you were keeping score at home, ten of those twelve times, what astonishes people, what brings them to this point of just being beside themselves and absolutely awestruck, it's Jesus' teachings. Only two times is it his miracles. I don't point this out to you today because I'm saying you should be more astonished by teaching than you are the miraculous. Of course not. I point this out to you because, again, it's become very hard for us to be astonished in our society anymore. Overall, as a people, we are suffering from a sense of numbness. And sadly, again, when we are astonished, we're not using the word properly. We're not expressing the same type of emotion that the men and the women. Again, Matthew 7, 28 and 29, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The truth is, even if it is a sad truth, is that often in our generation, it is what offends us 
that astonishes us first. And the more shocking and the more extreme, the more astonished we allow ourselves to become. And even when we recall the things that have given us that overwhelming, astonished feeling in a positive way, it's usually the miraculous. It's usually the miraculous that conjure those type of feelings in it. Again, I am guilty of it, maybe more so than anyone else in the room. Think of the, the two examples I gave you earlier. What were the examples that I gave that made me feel astonished at God's awesome ability? I mean, it was the miracle of life and the supernatural conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was the miraculous that first came to my mind as astonishing. So, so the question, the question that I had to ask myself, the question that I ask you today is when was the last time that you were astonished by teaching? Truthfully, not, not thought to yourself, well, that was a nice sermon. That was pleasant. I'm glad I was here today. Or, or not, I read that piece of scripture and it really was useful and really made me feel encouraged. But how often do you hear God's word taught or how often do you read God's word and walk away from it astonished? Because if something astonishes you, it demands action. It demands a response. If you walk out of church on a Sunday morning and you are astonished, you are not going back to your normal life on Monday. You can't just pretend that nothing happened. That teaching that you heard, it would cling to you. It would be in your heart and in your mind, and you would not be able to get away from it. If you pick up your Bible and God's word astonishes you, you can't just go back to business as normal. You can't walk into work on Monday morning or head to school and just push out of your mind what it was that you read. If God's word truly astounds you, it should lead you to seek more of it. If it gets into your head, it gets into your heart, it, it will affect the way that you think. It will change you. True astonishment will always lead to change. From that moment, the first time that I held Sydney, in that moment of astonishment, I knew that nothing could ever be the same. I didn't have all the answers. I did not know how the future was going to play out. But I was astonished. And I knew it was all different. Or the moment, again, that I came up out of the water. I brought a picture here to share with you. Right before I could even wipe the water off of my face and get it out of my eyes, before my eyes opened, I'm telling you, that is the face of a man who is astonished. True astonishment brings about change. When Jesus astonished people, it was not with his miracles alone. As we just read, it wasn't even, even if it was a 50-50 split, which it wasn't. Jesus astonished people with his teachings. And he astonished people with his teachings because they were full of power and they were full of authority. He astonished people with his teachings that were radically different from what the religious leaders had presented to the people up until this point. He stood in front of them that day on the hillside and, and he, he preached about his kingdom that was upside down. This kingdom where the meek would be blessed. And when he did that, it astonished people. He taught about his kingdom where revenge was not ours to seek, and it astonished people. His kingdom where people would give without being recognized, and that astonished people. His kingdom which held marriage to a higher standard than the world, it astonished people. 
This kingdom where we could pray to our Father in heaven directly. It astonished people. His kingdom being this place where the anxieties of this world would be no match for the eternal reward of heaven. It astonished people. This kingdom where we were told that we would love our enemies. It astonished people. My question again for you is, does it still astonish you? If it does not, church, then we need to change how and when we allow ourselves to be astonished. All of the evil in the world, I'm not telling you to grow numb to it. When we see evil and we see its effects on innocent people, it should always break our heart. But, but for me, I'm going to do everything in my power to not allow it to astonish me any longer. The only thing that I want to bring me that experience and that feeling of ekpleso, I want it to be God and I want it to be him alone. It will always continue, uh, I should say, continue to astonish me when I see God move miraculously. But don't find yourself waiting to see God move a mountain before you can be astonished by his might and his power. Perhaps it is time for some of us that we allow ourselves to be astonished by a Sunday morning worship service. I hope you've had a chance to experience that. I hope, obviously, that you've experienced that here, but God is certainly bigger than this building. You've heard me say it before. I promise you there are people all over the globe this morning that are being astonished by God's word, whether they're gathered in the grandest cathedrals or they're meeting underground, people are being astonished by the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Maybe you can start here. Maybe you can at least muster the courage to let yourself be astonished by God's word. Even if you're reading it, just sitting alone on your couch or you're listening to it as you're driving in your car. When Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount, when he spoke his last words, the people were astonished. And their astonishment, it turned them into lights. Lights that could not be hidden. It turned them into lights that shined so bright that they left that hillside and, and then they went home. They continued living lives that would astonish all who came in contact with them. Before we wrap up this morning, what I want to share with you is a piece of scripture. Uh, I, I would say actually probably the first piece of scripture that ever truly astonished me. This is the first scripture that I can remember reading or being read to me and, and, and almost audibly out loud saying, wow. See, this is a scripture that changed me. It changed the course of my life about a decade ago. and gave himself up for her. Now, I'm not just reading that because it is my anniversary today and I want to score some brownie points. I'm telling you, this is the first... Thank you, thank you. The power of the microphone. Here's the truth. I don't even need to, to finish the thought, right? That's, that verse ends in a comma. It continues on in verse 26. I don't even need verse 26 to be astonished. Love your wife. I mean, we get that. That's what we all signed up for, guys, when we got married, right? Love our wives. I knew that part. 
but love her like Christ loved the church, to give myself up for her. You can do some math. 18 years married, 10 years ago I heard this verse, okay? So I didn't get this right from the get-go. But this idea, we're quick to say that we would lay our lives down for our wives. I think most of us, if we were put on the spot under the spotlights with a microphone, we would say, yes, of course. If there was a truck speeding at her, I'd push her out of the way. Absolutely, I would. But this verse means so much more than that. It means that I would give up the things that I think I am entitled to as a man, or I would give up the things that I think I am entitled to as this individualistic human, that I would not shudder at the idea of being made less so that I could ensure that she would be free, that she would be safe, and that she would be loved. It's the 15 words in this verse that, that hit me in the soul, and they absolutely astonished me. And I hope each and every one of you, you have your, your own examples that you can carry in your back pocket, your own verses that you have that you know when you heard them for the first time, you were absolutely floored. Church, I, I pray today that you will let yourself be astonished by a God that defies all human logic and all understanding. Be astonished that you not only have been invited to visit this upside-down kingdom, but that you have been recruited to shine alongside an army that one day is going to defeat and conquer evil. Be astonished that your king has defeated death. You be astonished and you shine brightly. Let's pray.